Okay, so what, what do we, what's this made? You have two drawers. This drawer is just a normal employment cases involving any employment-related issues, disputes. And then this year, since April, I have to set up a special drawer just for the migrant workers coming to New Zealand recently and uh, being exploited, being scammed. I'm Sharon Brett Kelly, and I'm with May Moncour, advocate for Chinese migrant workers. In her small office in central Auckland, we're looking at her drawers filled with case files. It is the dozens of new cases of visa scams that have flooded into May that I'm here to talk about. And just in the matter of a couple of months, I have uh, over 30 cases, and I still have some coming, coming in. This never happened. I've been an advocate for 13 and a half years, close to 14 years, only this year. They are the sorts of cases that have been hitting the headlines. Dozens of Chinese migrant workers have been left jobless and destitute after paying agents thousands of dollars for work visas and jobs, only to be left with no work or being dismissed by their employer shortly after arriving here. There's no question that some of the workers who have come here with an accredited employer work visa are part of a foot and a scam. The practice of bonding uh, migrant workers to single employers is, is a, it's akin to modern day slavery as we have seen unfold in, in this week in media. Migrants from many countries, China, India, and just this week, reports of hundreds from South America, victims of scams promising jobs that lead to residency. Today, we hear about the horrors of advocating for those whose dreams of a better life in Aotearoa have turned to nightmares. May Moncour again. Suddenly I just found, oh, I've been, I was approached by more and more newcomers, these visa holders, and they have employment issues, and their employment issues are quite different from the normal uh, employment disputes. Pastry cook Keisha Kong paid about $14,000 to a China-based agent to get a work visa. A lot of them involving, they only work for a couple of days, they lost their jobs. But she got a nasty shock on her arrival in Dunedin in late March. While I was waiting, every day I asked him for work. And he would say, there is not much work here. The new store hasn't opened yet, so you'll just have to wait. Oh, never met the employer whatsoever, never worked. The number of inquiries just sent alarm. And people who approach me just tells me, oh, there are hundreds of people like me. Another man says he shelled out about $18,000 for a visa tied to a carpentry job he claims didn't exist. He's never even met his accredited employer. But you see, I've made a mark. Never worked, never worked, never worked, never worked. These are, these are never all... worked, never worked. So these people, these files that we're looking at here on your desk, mm. they've come in under the scheme and they've never worked. Never worked. And uh, if you see their uh, statements, they will say... They didn't know how to contact their employers, and the employer never contacted them. And some of them managed to find the employer's contact information online. Normally it's just the address, and they would personally visit the employer. And still the employer, upon their visit, would say, I have no work for you. 
Does the employer know who they are even? Definitely they should know. For a company to bring in a worker from overseas, you need to go through the immigration process, correct? You need to fill out the form. Without that process, nobody could just simply just turn up at your doorstep and say, I'm your I'm the employee you're recruited from mm, China. Because they've come in here legally. Yes, correct. How do people actually get in touch with you? Are you like their first port of call? Are you the person that they come to when things are really bad and, and they just think, I've, I need help? Yes. I think they, they can only manage to get the information within the Chinese community. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and what do they tell you? What are the first things that they tell you? Oh, normally they just ask, you know, uh, I'm stranded in New Zealand, I have no work, I'm jobless, I can't survive, I paid huge money to come here, and what can I do? Each individual case, although quite similar but different. If we, we have evidence there is an employment relationship, they come here with a work visa, so we, we have to find out who their employers are. Mm. It seems very straightforward, but actually it's not. A lot of them, they will say, I don't know who my employer is because they, they don't read English. So when we look at their visa, okay, if they provide us with their visa, we can figure out who the employer is. But the trouble is we have to act like detective to find out the employer's contact information. Mm-hmm. The only way we can find out is online and through the company office. Uh, we'll be able to find an address. But for us to really to commence proceedings, we do need phone numbers, emails, then address. Uh, sometimes they're hard to find. A lot of workers, the only point of a contact for them with the agent or the employer is a WeChat message. But you know WeChat message, that WeChat ID can be anyone. This is actually getting really out of hand. We think that there would be tens of thousands uh, workers in, in situations like this. Mandeep Singh Bella is the president of the Union Network of Migrants. He's been helping. 40 men crammed into a filthy, overcrowded three-bedroom home for months on end, sharing a single shower, cooking over one stove. They paid tens of thousands of dollars each for job offers and signed agreements with New Zealand recruitment contractors, but haven't worked an hour or seen a cent. You guys took $20,000 from us to get a job. Why you promise us you could give a better life here? There's no better life here. To be honest, we are barely scratching the surface. Since this news broke out, uh, I've been flooded with messages and calls. Um, you know, in fact, even migrants who are who are who are planning to enter the country, they've been contacting to see if they if their employment agreements are genuine. Because, um, like I said, there are loopholes in the in the system as well, and. Um, whistleblower among the MB department has also said there are issues with this, uh, mm. with how the scheme being implemented. So um, I think there needs to be number of steps need to be taken to, to address this. What happens when someone decides that they want to come and work in New Zealand? So, for example, they might be back in India, a young Indian man thinks that he wants to come and work in New Zealand. What's the process what we are um, seeing now is that a lot of the employers who are involved in exploitative practices, they've got the agents offshore mm. um, who actually target uh, these vulnerable and desperate 
migrants who look for opportunity to move opportunities to move overseas. And these agents paint a very good picture of New Zealand that they, when they enter New Zealand, they will be picked up from the airport and the very next day they will they will get their work and in, in the area which they have expertise in and they will get like, you know, a lot of money. They will make more money uh, in a month than what they would make, you know, uh, in years in uh, in the country where they're living in. Those vulnerable and desperate people do get enticed into these promises and these agents uh, charge them premiums as well. And then uh, when the application is applied and immigration approves it, for a lot of these migrants, they feel that, yeah, it's a, it's a genuine thing. They don't doubt it because they see that their visa is approved by Immigration New Zealand, that they have a job offer in writing. They feel that everything is legitimate. And when they come here, it's actually the opposite. So when you say that some of these people are targeted by the agent offshore, how are they targeted? These employers know some of those agents who, who've got contacts, you know. Mm. So they, they would advertise it in the newspapers. They would advertise it on the boards. There's a skill shortage in New Zealand. They're looking for truck drivers. They're looking for construction workers. They're looking for healthcare workers then these workers would contact these agents believing that they are legitimate agents and then uh, that's when the whole whole process starts are you still in touch with with these workers whose you know whose stories whose very sad stories that we've we've seen and heard about particularly in the last few weeks are you still in touch with them absolutely Every how are they doing day, um, i mean what how what are they doing with their days yeah, uh, so I'm in touch with them on a regular basis, on every single day basis, um, and uh, just ensuring that they have enough food. And if they haven't got enough food, they can send me the list, and I can work with um, relevant, uh, you know, organizations to find um, support for that. And then ensuring, you know, that they um, now are put in good jobs going forward, that they are not um, kicked out of the accommodation, suddenly finding nowhere else to leave. It certainly is quite difficult, especially the number of migrant workers who have been put into this situation. And it's not only that it's morally unethical what's happening, but it's also that it will have in the future a flow-on effect on New Zealanders as well. I mean, like these workers who have been brought here, where are they going to go? Uh, you know, and a lot of employers will try and explore these workers further. And, you know, they become undocumented workers. And this doesn't only explore these workers, but this also explores um, New Zealanders as well, because those employers will then try to compete with good employers as well as New Zealanders to, um, you know, ex uh, sort of explore their situation as mm. well. That drives down wages, that takes away opportunities for uh, jobs as well. So uh, it doesn't help anybody but those uh, employers who are trying to exploit workers. As May Moncour says, tracking the employer or agent or both involves a lot of detective work, especially if they don't want to be found. And it can be risky. For instance, if you look at this one, you see there's a police, <laughs> this is a police card. Yeah, why? Because the, I managed, in this case, I managed to find out who the employer is. And yeah. I contact the employer, the employer just... Uh, Refused to respond, and then I found the, the agent. Okay, this agent is just uh, someone on, on you know WeChat, and uh, because I spoke to the agent and the employer, and what they did, I got a, a death threat. 
mm. by the agent. That's why I had to go to the police. And they, they, a threat? They got a, you, a, you got threat. a death threat? Uh, yes, death on, threat. On the, on the phone? Oh, on the, yes. What did yeah. they say we, to we you? Te- huh? what, what, did, what did they say to you? Uh, <laughs> they said, uh, if someone is going to kill you, what are you going to do? Uh, very direct. Very direct. It's not, a, not even veiled a threat. And what and, did the uh, police say? And also they abused me on uh, uh, WeChat as well. They, they, that, they, that abuse was just absolutely would disgust anyone. That's my message. I said, I just want to have a frank conversation with you. Yeah. Okay, those two workers' circumstances are really, uh, you know, distressing. And, and this I just agent has to... taken a lot of money from them, presumably. Oh, yeah, 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 yes. Thousands? I said, yeah, yes. I said, I just want to get the matter resolved. Mm. And he said... Uh, it's very hard to translate, but I have to translate so you understand. Huh? Mm. Refuse the f- of you, and you are scum. Uh. Scum? Yeah, yeah. Uh, just... It's upsetting. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. okay, yeah. And so I don't know, it's a lot of things, it's just a very yeah. fishy and so you got, did you, you got the police involved when you got that death yeah. threat on yeah. WeChat from that person and you yeah. don't know whether they are in China or whether they're in New but Zealand? Definitely they, they are instructed by the employer because they, otherwise they wouldn't have uh, my contact details. Mm. And what, what have the police done, do you know? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And this is just one case. See, this involving two workers. Oh, two workers. None of them right. worked. Okay, so this is this company. Yeah. Then recently, I've been approached uh, by this, this worker. Okay, same, same company. company. Yeah, never worked. Oh, wow. Never worked. And these people, while they're waiting for their case to be resolved, mm. what are they doing? See, there's another uh, problem, and there's, I, I see that as a tipping bomb, ticking bomb for New Zealand, and uh, it's a beyond employment issue and c- cannot be simply uh, resolved, uh, addressed within the employment sector. It's a social issue. Mm. It's a bigger issue for New Zealand. Bigger than the fact that Definitely bigger than that. Than the see, visa scheme not working. Yes, yeah, so think about it. If they can threaten me... They definitely can threaten the, yeah. the, the workers. Yeah. So let's look at the visa that's causing so much angst. The minister, Andrew Little, has ordered a review. It's called the Accredited Employer Work Visa, and more than 80,000 applications have been approved. Nearly 28,000 employers have been accredited. Here's immigration lawyer Alistair McClymont. This is the uh, key work visa policy for filling labour shortages in New Zealand. So if we go back and look at the history of this, the idea to replace the old essential skills work visa policy with the accredited employer work visa policy comes back from when this present government was first elected in 2017. So it's not a response to any particular labour shortages after COVID, this was an idea that they had right from the time that they were first elected. So under the old system, used to be that you would simply have an applicant for a work visa would apply to Immigration New Zealand for that work visa, and that worker would have to provide all of the information on behalf of the employer who offered the job, as well as for themselves. And then the immigration officer would have to go through an assessment of everything. So they would assess the 
financial sustainability of the employer, they would assess the employer's compliance with employment rules and regulations, they would assess the advertising attempts made by the employer to recruit New Zealanders, then they would assess the applicant's suitability for the job. So you'd have one case officer assessing all of these factors on behalf of both the employer and the employee. So the new system that they had was basically to deconstruct this one application and turn it into three separate applications. So instead of one application for a uh, essential skills work visa, you'd have three applications. The first one would be for the employer accreditation. That dealt with the employer's financial sustainability and their compliance with employment rules and regulations. Once that was approved, it's the accreditation. Then you have the second stage, which is a job check application, which is the employer advertising for the job and being able to demonstrate that there are no New Zealanders. That's the job check part of it. And the third part would be the applicant for the work visa showing that they are suitably qualified for that position which has been offered them. The only thing which has now been added to the old policy was a requirement for uh, accreditation that the employer must provide settlement information to the new worker once they arrive which can be you know, a piece of paper with information about their employment rights, etc. The employer would have to do an online, we, we call it an online quiz about employment rights, and then when a worker arrives in the country within the first month, the worker has to be given the opportunity to go online and do this online quiz to show that they've you know, learned about their employment rights. So that's really the only thing that's changed. So are you saying that there's actually nothing wrong with the policy? It's the way it's being implemented. In theory, Immigration New Zealand could interpret that policy as giving them the ability to require these employers to provide evidence that they're financially sustainable and that they're compliant with employment rules and regulations. Now, why I think this is important is my assumption that the sort of employers who are likely to exploit workers are also the sort of employers who are not really financially sustainable or don't really have a good grasp of how to keep good wage and time records. That there's likely to be a correlation between the two. For example, you could have an employer who is applying for accreditation. In the application form, the question is asked, have you made a loss over the last two years? Now that employer can honestly tick that box and say no, but they've maybe only made $1 profit. Okay? But what Immigration New Zealand is seeing is that the employer has not made a loss. But they've only got $1 available in profit, yet they're then applying for 10 job check tokens for 10 new workers to come in. It's going to cost them $60,000 in salaries for each of the workers. So they're providing 10 job check tokens $600,000 that they have to pay these staff, these people suddenly arrive and they don't have the work or the money to pay $600,000 in salaries because in their accreditation application they got accreditation because they haven't made a loss. Whereas previously under the old system you would have a worker would apply for a visa, uh, the immigration officer would see okay 
this is going to cost the employer $60,000. They would look at the financial statements and say, well, hang on, you've only made $1 profit in the last year. How are you going to pay this worker $60,000? And they would quite often decline those work visa applications on the grounds that they don't believe the position is financially sustainable. But that now doesn't occur because of the way that the question is designed on the application form. Employers are giving honest answers. They're not cheating. But they simply don't have the money available to pay all of these workers that they're handing out these job tokens for. I mean, why are these employers taking on these people then okay, if they so don't have the money? If you've got an employer who sees an opportunity to make some money here, he's going to think, OK, um, my business is not doing particularly well. I'm making $1 profit. I can get 10 job check tokens that, you know, you can sell these tokens on the um, open market in a country like India or China or Vietnam for twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 each. Um, if I split this with the agent overseas, suddenly I've made myself, uh, you know, $100,000, $200,000. It's a pretty easy way to make a lot of money very quickly. May and Mandeep are talking about tens of thousands of people affected, tens of thousands of workers. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think that's probably pretty accurate. What, what, I mean, we've just seen huge numbers coming into the country. One of the things that we've noticed about the new ones coming into the country is that many of them have really no qualifications, no work experience, very little English um, and that's not what we saw in the past, because as I said before, much of the exploitation in the, pa- in the past was through those students that were coming through. And these students were ones who were qualified, had good English skills, but now these, these ones that are arriving are much more vulnerable. So what has to happen here, Alistair? Uh, well, I think it's fundamentally it's a resourcing issue. I mean, I am sure that Immigration New Zealand are not enjoying seeing these stories being reported in the media and I'm sure that they would like to verify every single application that they get but they just simply don't have the resources. Now if they want to check qualifications and experience from workers overseas they can really only do that by having offshore Immigration New Zealand offices like they used to. Those Immigration New Zealand staff working in those offices were the best ones who were able to pick up on fraudulent documentation from their own countries because they know what fraudulent documentation looks like in an instant. What if it's not fixed? The the fear here is that New Zealand is is basically turning into another Dubai labour market. If you think about Dubai, you have a, a country there which desperately needs workers, but the locals are not going to be doing that work for one reason or another. There is no pathways to residency for any of the workers coming into Dubai. They simply cannot obtain residency rights in Dubai. So they're on a very temporary basis. So they just recycle these predominantly unskilled workers um, into Dubai and you know exploit the hell out of them. I think fundamentally, if you want to fix our immigration system, we have to stop pretending that these people are coming here for temporary purposes. Um, acknowledge the fact that people want to come here for uh, a new life and for residency. Acknowledge the fact that we're always going to have a problem of losing young people to Australia or to overseas work. Um, We know that we need to replace this younger population and provide genuine pathways to residency that does not require them to go into an exploitative uh, employment relationship. 
That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. Today's episode was engineered by Phil Benj. Our producers are Sarah Robson and Bonnie Harrison. And thanks to May Moncour, Mandeep Singh Bala and Alistair McClymont. Mā te wā.